0: that time. I like that uh, focus on the proclamation, right? Proclaiming to ourselves, to other people uh, around us. And much of that's going to be what we talk about in our message today. So I invite you uh, to turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, is going to be our text for this morning. Uh, if you're joining in with us or have been out and about uh, for the last few weeks, we are uh, kind of nearing the end of a short series that we've been doing called The Essential Elements. And our goal in this series has been to go back to the early church and to look at uh, the life of the early church and what went on. What was uh, their life and like as they would gather and, and do things uh, as they followed Christ in those early days. And as we do so, we wanted to look at what are those essential elements. What what are the things that made the church the church? And uh, how can we adopt those things? How can we prioritize those things today, 2,000 years later, that as we gather, we would be doing and partaking of the same exact elements of what church life is like? Uh, so a few weeks ago when we kicked off the series, we talked about the importance of uh, preaching God's Word. We've talked about prayer and hospitality and generosity. Uh, and today we're going to uh, look to the essential element of evangelism. Our home base passage for this whole series has been in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47, which tells us that uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." evangelism, if you will, is part and parcel to what life was like in the early church. As the church started to explode in the book of Acts, a couple of years ago we spent uh, two uh, school years working through the book of Acts, and we learned and saw over and over and over again the gospel going out in the regions as Paul would travel and the apostles would travel. They would go and they would boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and believers were being saved all over the place. And so as we look at uh, this essential element this morning, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and starting in verse 11, gives us a, a good picture, I think, into what Paul has in mind of, of how the church adopts this and the significance of the church adopting this element of evangelism. Now, I recognize that at the outset of this message, that for some, the, the concept of evangelism is really intimidating. It's, it's scary. You know, you think I, I, I have fears and, and uh, anxieties about speaking up for my faith, and those could be for any number of different reasons. Maybe I don't know what to say. I, I'm worried that I'm going to say something wrong. I don't want to offend somebody and lose the opportunity. Uh, yet, evangelism is part of what the church does. And us as individuals make up the church. So uh, corporately, the church should evangelize. We should take the good news and share it in our communities and share it with the people who are around us. And part of doing that corporately is us doing that individually. Now, I know that evangelism is uh, a passion for some people, a gifting uh, for some people. They, they wake up in the morning, they're like, who am I going to evangelize to? Who am I going to share my faith with? And they're, they're eager to do it. And some of us are a little bit more timid about that and say, I know I should, and I really need to trust the Lord to do that. And I think uh, Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11, will give us uh, maybe some motivation, some insight into the, the importance of doing this. So he writes, uh, starting in verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Would you pray with me as we open this time in the Word together? Heavenly Father, we come before you now and are grateful for your Word that speaks to all aspects and facets of life. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we uh, consult it this morning, that by your Spirit, the preaching of it would go forth in clarity and in truth and in boldness. Father, I pray today... That as we sit under the teaching of your word, your spirit would stir in our hearts the desire to go and to share this hope that we have with other people as well as we talk about evangelism. So Lord, we do this now and we ask your blessing on our time. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you look at the uh, book of Acts, uh, early after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we're told that uh, that day 3,000 were added to their number. Now in a small town like Shabna, it's hard to imagine 3,000 people coming to faith uh, in one moment. We couldn't imagine 3,000 people showing up to church on Sunday morning. And uh, I almost got to believe that for them, they didn't have any frame of reference for that either. That they may have been just as shocked to see these things happening in their day as well. Uh, but it wasn't long right after that where you had the, the apostles uh, preaching in the, the public sphere that you had more personal evangelism taking place too in Acts chapter 3 where you have the lame beggar that's one on one we're sharing the gospel with an individual and, and the hope that we have in Christ uh, throughout the book of Acts we see the apostles and Paul and uh, all these guys going and, and preaching uh, boldly if you remember from our Acts series it was the, the on, like on repeat right Paul would go to a new city and where would he go he'd go first to the synagogue the Jews would get ticked at him then they would kick him out and then he'd go and he'd preach to the Gentiles. And it was like over and over and over this was happening. And no matter the amount of opposition, no matter the amount of rejection uh, that the apostles would would receive, they would continue to go. They would continue to take the gospel. Uh, They would be bold with it. And that should stir us to the same ideas. And then as we look even for us that today, it it should stir in us the desire to see these things continue to take place. I think it would be each of our prayer to see the Lord bringing more and more uh, to our number each day. I think we would love to see uh, new people coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, the disconnect sometimes comes in that we're like, we're going to leave that job to somebody else. We'll let the the pastors take care of evangelism. We'll let the, the people who are passionate about evangelism take care of it. And I would push back and say that each of us, God has given you a unique sphere of influence whether that's at your job, with your neighbors, your family, your friend circles, whatever it may be. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Evangelism is not so much a, a matter of uh, if we should, but how and when. We should be doing it. For the early church, it was not a question of uh, how how do I share my faith? How do I evangelize? For them, they may have been asking the question more so, how can I not? How can I not take this good news and share it with other people? And so I wonder at times if in our world today, in our context here, if we need to change the questions we're asking. Instead of asking all the questions, uh, should I share my faith with this person? Is it the right time? Is it, How could I not speak up about my Lord? And Bill, that was a great point to that, right? How can we not share Jesus with other people? If he's so important to us, so great to us, if he's done all of these wonderful things in our lives that we sing about and proclaim and celebrate, who are we to hold that to ourselves? So Paul, as he writes this letter to the Corinthians, he tells them, and I think this is kind of that that first baseline driving factor to why we should share our faith, is we would evangelize if we perceive the spiritual need. Verse 16, if you look there with me, Paul says, From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Right? That could be an easy thing for us to do, because outwardly, we look at people all around us, and we say, man, they're living good lives. Right? How many times have you heard somebody, even somebody who's maybe passed away, and they said, well, they were just such a good person. They were a good person. By what standard? By what standard? Our, our world operates under this idea that, that people are good, and when we perceive uh, people just as good because maybe they've got the, the nice house and they've got their life seemingly put together, so uh, we don't need to bring that up. They seem to be doing fine. But if we would learn to continue to evaluate people and to regard people according to the spirit recognize there's a spiritual need a desperation that's taking place then it may change our our level of intensity our motivation to go and bring the good news so i didn't tell him i was going to do this my brother's a doctor and last night we were sitting around a fire in the backyard and he was telling stories of you know working with patients and he has a unique role as a doctor to tell people how it is with their with their body they come to him when there's issues that are going on and he needs to tell them what it is and the solutions for doing it now people aren't always receptive to those things but that mean that a doctor doesn't have the responsibility to share what it, to speak how it is likewise brothers and sisters if we recognize that there are those around us who are in spiritual desperation who better to speak up and tell them about what's going on than us See, evangelism comes from the the root word euangelion, which is the word for gospel, right? And the idea of gospel literally is the good news. So we think about the good news, and the irony is sometimes we're so timid to share the good news, and maybe it's because we know that for there to be good news, there also has to be bad news, And so it's easy sometimes to to take the gospel and we we will present the gospel as as the good, the good, the good, and we don't want to talk about the bad. But when we don't talk about the bad news, the good news is diminished. The good news is only so good because the bad news is really, really bad. That all of humanity has fallen. That all have sinned against a holy God that one day all people will stand before the judgment seat. So please, place your faith in Jesus Christ because that's the good news. That God loved the world in this way, that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So don't dismiss the bad news with the good. We have to recognize the spiritual need. Uh, you maybe have seen the videos that they were circling a while back of people would walk around with a number above their head, right, just made up video. And the number they learned represented the amount of time that they had left to live. And when people started to recognize this, kind of the the main character in these videos, they, they became more intense about wanting to help these people, wanting to be kind to them. They'd see people that had large numbers and people that had very small numbers and their compassion went out for the people with small numbers. Now here's the reality. We don't walk around with numbers above our heads. We don't know. But if we could understand from the teaching of God's Word, from what He has revealed to us, that people are walking around in desperate need of the good news, that may just stir our hearts to say, we've got to share. I've got to share. Because I love them and I care for them. So then number two, As we look at Paul's writing, if we perceive this bad news, then we also have to recognize in our evangelism and our witnessing that we partner with God. Now, this is not so much like the 50-50 partnership, like we're, we're both equal in arms here. But Paul tells us that we, in verse 1 of chapter 6, working together with him, he tells us that God has given us this ministry of reconciliation, that that we are ambassadors for Christ. And I remember when I was in college at Taylor, I was getting ready to go on a month-long missions trip to Ghana. And part of our our prep work for they required everybody who was going on these missions trips to go and talk to some of these missions reps that they bring to the school. And uh, so I reluctantly went to do it because it was just another task that I had to do. I wasn't really looking forward to it. And uh, So down in the, the commons area of our dining hall, uh, they had all these different tables set up, all these missions reps down there. And I was like, I don't know. what. The, I'm just going to go pick someone random and talk to him. So I looked for the first table that had some guy there that wasn't talking to someone else. And I was just straight up with him. I was like, hey, I, we're supposed to come and talk to somebody about missions. I'm getting ready to go on a trip. And so just any advice you've got or... You know, I was a college kid not really caring a lot about it. The guy's name was Ron. I remember this because what he said stuck with me. And Ron asked me a question. He said, Jeremy, when you, when you go on this missions trip, what do you want people to remember when you're gone? I was like, hmm, well, I would obviously want them to remember the Lord and to know God. He's like, exactly. So often we go in to ministry and life with the desire to have the starlight on us. It's about us in some degree, my capabilities, my creativeness to, creativeness to witness. And he's like, that's not what it is at all. So Ron asks a question then. He's like, if you go to a concert, and uh, he's like, let's say you go to a concert to listen to one of the greatest trumpetists around. He says, you're going to go to this concert, and uh, as, imagine you listen to the whole concert. Wonderful. You get in the car, and you're going home. What, what are you talking about? Like probably how great the musician was. Bingo. He's like, you're not going to sit there and talk about how shiny or dented or anything that the trumpet was. You're going to talk about how that musician was able to do something so magnificent with that trumpet. It's it's about the musician. He's like the same idea is with us. We're the trumpets. He's like, last time I checked, this trumpet, just so you know, has been sitting on this chair since well before you guys showed up this morning. I bet you haven't heard it make a noise. Bet you haven't seen it. Because on its own, the trumpet doesn't do anything. But in the hands of the musician, it can perform beautiful music. To the extent that when you leave, the musician gets all the glory. Now, I'm not going to play it because I don't know how to play the trumpet. But I wanted to have something to hold in my hand. So thanks, Tom, for letting me borrow your trumpet this morning. But as we consider our witness to the Lord, that singular thing has been such, it has been ingrained in me from that day. From going down to that dining hall with the intention just to check something off a list, God used a simple conversation with a man named Ron to help shape my perspective of ministry for years to follow. See, if we're going to partner with God, it's not so much a matter of our creative lenses, our our great plans and philosophies of ministry. Our partnership with God means we need to learn to stick to our role. We need to learn to be faithful and responsible to the role that we play. And that role is to be the trumpet. To be the mouthpiece for God. Paul says that we are ambassadors. You know what that means? We carry a message, but that message isn't even our own. We carry a divine message from God so that we take it and we are simply God's mouthpiece. And so often, I know as we talk about it, and it becomes so real when you plug in names and you think of the people that you love and you care about, your family, your close friends, your neighbors, the ones that that it breaks your heart to know that they're not walking with the Lord. And if they died this very moment, you know the reality that would stand for them. And it gets real then because it becomes everything to you to want to convince them of the truth. But the reality of it is, we have our job and God has His. Our job, speak, proclaim, share the message. God's job, change hearts. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 what then is Apollos, right? What is Paul? But servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And I tell you, brothers and sisters of Christ, when that becomes real for us, your evangelism takes on a whole different form. Because instead of the guilt trip, instead of all the pressure, now there's freedom. Because I have a message to proclaim, and I'm just the messenger. So if you're going to shoot the messenger, shoot the messenger. But it's God's message. And there's a lot of pressure off your back when you know that God's the one who has to change their hearts. There's no matter of how creatively you can present the gospel. If people's eyes and hearts are blinded to the truth, they need God to open those. But God has chosen that this is the means by which he would reach men. we've titled today's message evangelism god's appeal to man through man right god in his infinite wisdom right because he could just in his divine power just open everybody's eyes instantaneously and that would be it we wouldn't need to share our faith some of the hyper calvinists might say we don't need to share our faith because if god has chosen someone then they'll be saved anyways the hyper arminians might say we have to, because if we don't say it, they'll never come to faith. It's all on me. It's my job, my responsibility. And i got to be honest, the answer is somewhere in between. God's job, our responsibility. God has chosen that we would be the ones. Romans chapter 10, you're probably familiar with it. In verse 13, Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Amen. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Fair point. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? Touché. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So as as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And God, brothers and sisters, has sent us as His ambassadors, you and me, to take that message to the world why it baffles me too because I know me and I know that if I were choosing I would be the last person to stand up and talk about the holiness of God and I know that if you were to be honest with yourself you may feel I'm not qualified for this God has sent you as an ambassador with the message which means we are to be responsible to that role, to share it. But we also need to be responsible to guard it, to safeguard, to, to uphold the message that we send. I believe it's in Deuteronomy, uh, God's word says that if anybody adds to, if any, anybody says anything that's not directly from the Lord, they are not his prophet. Not one of his messengers, and they should be ignored. So our job is not to add to or subtract, but our job is to take the message and to share it. And if we're going to do that, we need to uphold the sacredness of the gospel, that we don't water it down, that we would preach it. And that's you've made a point, Bill, right? What I have heard, I have passed on to you. What I have heard, I have passed on to you. That's Paul's writing, through and through. That's the apostles through and through. Is that not us today? What we have heard, what we have read, what we have received, we pass on. At times it's going to be difficult. At times it's going to be harsh. But it's so important. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, he says, I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and returning to a different gospel Not that there is another one, he says, verse 7, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we have preached to you, let him be accursed. We've said it before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. One gospel, one truth, and it is sacred. And it is the role of the church to uphold that gospel in the world around us. That we don't change it, we don't add to it, we don't subtract from it. We are simply the mouthpiece. And we do that because we recognize the significance of it. If you look back to our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, Paul talks about this ministry of reconciliation. He says that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What a message. What a message. That's a big deal. That's like you're destined for hell, but God's changing the ball game. You are walking the wide path and he is calling you to the narrow. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but he has given you the glory of God in Christ Jesus. That's no light message. And we share with much greater uh, confidence, much greater boldness messages that are much lighter than that. So how much more should we open our mouths for this? So we uphold that message in our confession, with our mouths, but also as our elders in the last year have done, we've looked at a book called Gospel. And the whole point of that book is to say is, is the confession of our mouth and the culture of our church, are they in sync with each other? In other words, to, to bring that down is, is, is what we say in line with what we do. And that's a place for us to stop and examine that corporately and individually. Is your mouth speaking what your heart believes? And are your hands doing what your heart believes? And are they the same message? We uphold the gospel. Now, get a little practical for you. Number three is we evangelize in our persuasion. That's part of what evangelism is. We persuade others of the truth. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Doesn't get much more straightforward than that pastor doesn't have to get creative to come up with the word persuade when Paul's like persuade. It's right there. And that's part of what evangelism is, is to to reason with people, to, to use our intellect and the skills that God has given us. Because the Christian faith is not just one that's taken blindly. There's ample evidence and reason to believe it. So can we engage in a conversation? Now, I understand that that's where theories and all these things may come in. You're like, I don't know all the theories. But do you know why you believe what you believe? If you do, you've got reason to persuade. So we can speak up. We can share the faith that we have. And the reason we do that, I remember the earliest days in learning about Bible study is when there's a therefore, you would do what? Find out what it's there for, right? So verse 11, therefore, so what's Paul saying? Why do we persuade others? What's this whole fear of the Lord? Verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what's due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. All right, it's coming. Therefore, we should persuade people because we know that they're on a path toward destruction. So we plead. Paul says, I implore you, I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And I thought of, uh, in relation to this, I don't know, I random videos pop up on social media sometimes. You ever seen videos of a beach? And uh, obviously, the video is taken from like a helicopter, and down on the beach, you can see people in the water, and then you can see dark figures under the water. Those are sharks, right? And what people will do is they'll go up and they'll have the helicopters in communication with the lifeguards down the beach, and they'll say, "Hey, we see five white sharks or five sharks down there. You should get people out of the water." And so then the lifeguards go or the messengers to the people. They sound the alarm, whatever, get people out of the water because they recognize that they're in danger. They're not sitting there like, "Yeah, well, hopefully they see them, right? Hopefully they figure it out and they get out of the water. No, get out of the water." There's sharks. I remember one year in Virginia, we're swimming and all of a sudden, mom's yelling off the beach, get out of the water, guys, get out of the water. And people are running down the beach, there's a shark, there's a shark. When people are in danger, we know it's instinctive within us to want to inform them, to tell them "You're you're in harm's way. If we recognize, guys, that people are in harm's way, that by living a life of rebellion against God, they are bringing upon themselves the judgment of God rightfully deserved. Would we not share a day's coming? Repent and believe. So we reason. We engage our intellect. And not to the, uh, discourage anybody to say, Man, uh, well, what if people argue me? What if they present something that I don't know how to respond to? Again, guys, stick to your pay grade. They might. We don't know. But in the same context of being a, a, a witness to Christ, Jesus says in Luke's Gospel, not to be anxious about what you say. For the Spirit will teach you what to say in that very hour. And that's convicting to me. Because i will to be honest, there's times that for me, the fear can make me question, should I bring it up? But man, if I really believe, if I really trust the Lord in what He says, don't be anxious about it. The Spirit of God will lead you and guide you in that very hour. I wonder if I'd take a leap on that. I wonder if I'd just step out and say, "All right, Lord, I'm going to trust You. Not to be foolish with my words, but in prayer, To go out and say, Lord, let me be the ambassador that you've called me to be. See, our persuasion when we evangelize is not just about winning arguments, right? That's not the goal. It's not just about having the answer. It's not just about uh, having the argument that beats someone else so they're left without an opinion. It's not about the argument, it's about the soul, it's about the person. Because you can have all the right information, but if you deliver it wrong, if you deliver it in a way that, that builds a barrier that's going to contradict the message that we share. Right? Uh, Paul, just below this, in our passage in verse 3 of chapter 6, he says, We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no one may find fault with our ministry. Right? Sometimes what happens is we go with all the right arguments, and we do so in a spirit of hostility, we do so in a spirit of pride that we want to win the argument. And in so doing, perhaps we build an obstacle. You may have stumped me, but I want nothing to do with the message that you share. So we do so with all patience and gentleness. We do so going to the great lengths. that encourage you to look at those beginning uh, verses of chapter 6 and Second Corinthians and the things that Paul uh, brings up and the, the hardships that they went through for the sake of bringing out the truth. But our goal, guys, is not to win those arguments. It's to win the soul. It's about the person. It's about their faith. And God uses the arguments, He uses our reasoning to do that. I would invite you to look over to Acts chapter 17 with me. This is a beautiful example of it. The Apostle Paul, uh, out in one of his missionary journeys, uh, finds himself in Athens. Uh, While he's in Athens, he ends up in the Areopagus. And uh, this is probably a very famous, you're familiar with it. Uh, We're told in verse 22 of Acts 17, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens! I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And it's a beautiful picture for Paul. He's engaging with these people on their turf. I I see that you're I see that you're religious people, but I see where you're off. And so he, he builds the bridge, if you will, and says, Here, we're on common ground. But you don't know this God, so I want to tell you all about him. And he goes on, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind uh, to live on the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He's actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness. You see it coming back. By a man whom He has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. See, our evangelism takes the form of persuasion, but there's a part of sharing the gospel that is straight up proclamation. This is the truth. This is who God is. This is what God has done. And so uh, we proclaim Christ. And as you look at uh, the Apostle Paul throughout his epistles, as you look at the, uh, the apostles that minister in the early church, the message, the proclamation was Christ crucified and risen. That is perhaps one of the greatest failures at times of Christian evangelism. Jesus died for your sins. Yeah, he did. But if he stayed in the grave, you better start worrying about him again. Because we're still under the law. Your sins are not atoned for. And so you better have showed up to church this morning with your goats and sheep and pigeons because we've got business to do. Christ crucified, Christ risen. That is the fulcrum of the Christian faith. Not in any way to say that the other doctrines of the Christian faith are not important. But without the resurrection, there's no Christian faith. We could still be Jews. We would still be under the law. But there would be no Christian faith. If Christ is not risen, that changes things. That leaves us in an utterly hopeless position. So when we share the gospel, yes, Jesus died for your sins, but more than that, he rose again. Because it's in his resurrection that he defeated the power of sin and death once and for all. That he will never taste death again. So, as we share in his death, we might also share in his resurrection. That we might have life eternal because the one who gives it to us is the author of life eternal, and he himself is eternally alive. So, we persuade and we proclaim because that's what the message is. And God has given us a responsibility to it, to uphold it. And so if we are the loudspeakers, if we are the ambassadors for God's divine message, then perhaps it should stir us uh, to movement, stir us to action within the church. That as we do uh, different events and outreaches as a church, we would be involved in those. That as we engage with our lives personally, we would seek those opportunities uh, with our loved ones and our neighbors to share that faith. And that, brothers and sisters, I'd encourage you that we should do so by living our lives above reproach. Living in such a way that nobody can bring an accusation against us so as to not hinder the message of the gospel. And I ask your prayer for me in that as well, and for your elders, that as we minister, that you would look at, that the Lord would look after us. And we pray the same for you that we would minister in faithfulness, we would minister in boldness so that we might take the message and back it up with our lives so as to not build roadblocks and obstacles. So I want to conclude this morning with a little bit of a practical step. I want you to take your bulletin. If you don't have one, take out your phone or something. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down one person's name. One person's name that you know needs to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. One person's name that you know right now, they are lost. And that if that day of judgment were to happen in this moment, they would stand before a living God. And they would face His wrath. And I want you to write down that name and underline it, circle it, star next to it or something. And I want to give you a moment right now in your own chair, in the privateness of your own heart, to pray for that person. Pray that they would come to to faith in Christ and pray that God would give you the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And then I want you to hang that piece of paper up somewhere where you're going to see it this week. Somewhere where you're going to be reminded. So it's not like we walk out of church on Sunday and it's like, yeah, great, pastor's sermon's done. Because if you're reminded of it, then perhaps you'll take those opportunities When you have a conversation, when they call you up, when you text them, oh, yeah, I want to share something with them. And we look for those opportunities.